1: at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Today's episode is sponsored by the Healthy Hormone Club, which provides accessible, affordable, safe, holistic, bio-identical hormone replacement therapy for women in pause and perimenipause. If you're experiencing hot flashes, mood swings, weight gain, or just not feeling like yourself, try out the Healthy Hormone Club. Start with a completely free masterclass, What Every Woman Must Know About Hormone Restoration from Dr. Michelle Sands. During this class, you'll learn how to restore your hormones and put an end to those frustrating symptoms without ever setting foot in a doctor's office. In this masterclass, you'll learn how to get a custom hormone balancing prescription tailored specifically to your needs helping you to reverse aging, boost energy, and say goodbye to perimenopause and menopause symptoms. To claim your spot, go to freehormoneclass.com forward slash pants on fire, where you can reclaim your energy, vitality, and overall well-being. Take control of your hormonal health and start feeling like yourself again. Go to freehormoneclass.com forward slash pants on fire to secure your spot in the next Hormone Restoration Masterclass today.
0: We're here with Lingling Wong, author of Natural Beauty, which is a body horror genre, which I think is a fantastic way to talk about a genre. It's also darkly funny, and it has all of these different elements working within it to kind of investigate the world of beauty and how far we'll go. To be beautiful. So, first of all, thank you for being here. And uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about Natural Beauty.
2: Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Natural Beauty is about this really talented pianist who is at a conservatory. Because of a terrible accident that happens to her parents, she's kind of forced to give up this really promising career and she lands at this very high paid wellness and clean beauty store, really drinks the Kool-Aid, but also starts to uncover kind of all of these sinister, dark things about the entire industry as she stays on.
0: Some of the elements in the book are really interesting in that you take Elements of the beauty world that exists today that are actually really familiar, like how do we keep you know our collagen going? How do we make sure our skin still has that elasticity? How do we keep our hair in great shape? And you take it to an extreme. So, like for example, one of my favorite things you mentioned a actual parasite that the beauty store sells that is basically releasing. Uh, hundreds of mites into people's hair and it eats all of the dirt and the oil and it keeps their hair really, really clean and their scalp really, really clean. But they also have a hive of mites on their head. But people are willing to do that. And of course, for an exorbitant price. And I think it is so interesting. You found these fears that we all have, especially women, our looks in comparisons and getting older and all of the elements of our lives that are difficult. You just kind of went, okay, what if? How far would
2: we go? (laughs) Yes. That was kind of difficult because there were so many ideas that I had. And then I would do a quick Google, and, you know, it would be something that's already in development or used somewhere in the world. If I wanted to make sure this was a fiction novel, I had to really reach. And they are kind of all things that I could see being used in the next like five to 10 years. I know it It sounds kind of gross on the face of it, the whole mites situation, but I feel like I know those people who would love just being able to wake up and roll out of bed with great hair and not need to shower. And of all the treatments
0: that you mentioned, that one was the one where I was like, Oh yeah, I would do that.
2: <laughs> I feel like I could have used that my entire like college experience.
0: When we talk about this book, I often hear it described as body horror and as like a horror novel in this like social sense. So was that your intention when you first started writing it?
2: It definitely wasn't my intention. And actually, I didn't quite realize it was a horror novel and especially a body horror. It's something that early readers were saying about it. And that was so interesting to me but I almost feel like it's impossible to write about a woman's experience especially in this country without going into the horror genre. I'm happy with where it landed but I was definitely surprised and it wasn't my intention. It fits very well there because it is horrifying. One of the things that I particularly enjoyed that I want to talk
0: about as a feminist, one of the things that you point out is that They're all kind of competing against each other in a way, like they're friendly. And of course, there's a a little bit of a relationship with our main character and uh, Helen. But they are also always comparing one another to themselves. And if someone else's lashes are a little bit longer, they're going to go get that silkworm treatment. They're going to tweak themselves to keep up. We do that now. We don't have to have... Special sci fi beauty treatments. We
2: do that now. Yeah, for sure. It's something, especially with like influencer culture and things like that. I, I teach a lot of uh, young, like violin students, and so many of them struggle with what they see on the screen all the time. I remember talking to a 12 year old about her eating disorder, and it had gotten so bad. And it's because, you know, you can look at hundreds, thousands of amazingly beautiful people um, and you just have this constant desire and need to keep up and it can feel so overwhelming and i've definitely seen it reflected in every workplace that i worked in whether it be music or wellness it's tragic because we kind of lose touch with what we actually would want to look like any of our actual interests and we get disconnected from our bodies because we're so interested in changing them on a cellular level which is horrific I would have loved to do more of that, maybe even an entire book, because it is so complex the ways that women love each other and support each other, but feel the need to keep up with one another and outdo each other.
0: Absolutely. And it sabotages our relationships with our bodies, but also our relationships with other women. I think that society, especially um, Western society, does a really good job of
2: making us believe that other women are the enemy. Absolutely. It's something I definitely bought into for way too long. I think only in my like early to mid-twenties did I start reading enough great feminist writers and thinkers that made me understand that it was just this system that had made us really competitive with one another and it kept us distracted from all of the real issues that need our attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a divide and conquer. Patriarchy wins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Something else that I thought was really interesting that you touched on uh, was the idealized beauty being a Western image, a European image. One of the things that our main character changing her appearances in pretty drastic ways, but there isn't a lot of description about her. However, When she is asked to come up with a different name, a less ethnic name to Mm -hmm. have on her name tag or to use to introduce herself when she's on the floor in the store, which I want to follow up on that in a second, she's asked to pick a different name and then she has a conversation with another employee that she never thought was anything other than a white woman who actually wasn't. And her appearance had changed so much. What was what was your intention there?
2: You know, I grew up in Houston, Texas. And until like middle school, there was one other East Asian classmate that I had. I would have always wanted to have the main character's trajectory, like to wake up with my hair getting lighter. I used so much sun in and and lemon juice. It it was something that I would have really wanted. And in many ways, the products that are sold to us at any beauty store kind of uphold this ideal of beauty that is very westernized and Eurocentric. And so I wanted to take that to the extreme. What if I had gotten everything I wanted as an elementary and middle schooler? What would my life be like now? I think for a long time, I just didn't realize that there was something to lose
1: in Mm -hmm. assimilating.
2: Every time that's happened in my life, when I've achieved some goal that I've been taught to want, and which I haven't really questioned, like, is this what I want? Um, I've been so disappointed that it doesn't actually equal happiness.
0: That is so accurate. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know this is your debut novel, which we should talk (laughs) about in a second. I was trying to get published for 10 years and it was such a struggle. And last month, my 12th book came out. If 44 year old Mindy could have spoken to 30 year old Mindy and been like, dude, you're going to be living off your writing income. You're going to have 12 books out. I would have been like, man, she has her shit together. Like that, that 44 year old Mindy is on cloud nine. And it's like, no, I mean, I literally have everything I could want. And I still have shitty
2: days. (laughs) That's been some of the experience of this. I I keep trying to remember, like, remember just even a year ago or like two years ago, how many antidepressants you were on because like couldn't get an agent. But it's hard because I think I've internalized such a large amount of anxiety that um, any new opportunity kind of becomes a new opportunity to be anxious. That's the truth. Because you have to make a decision. And then it's like, oh, I can't do that. Exactly. So there's just a lot of anxiety. I remember feeling kind of the same way with like Uh, getting a puppy. Um, During the pandemic, I was like, this is supposed to be the happiest moment of my life. Why is it so difficult? I struggled with um, really bad eating disorders. I would reach like the goal weight that I had set for myself. And I would realize like, oh, it just means that I'm at this weight. It doesn't make me happy or beautiful or white, like any of the things I had kind of been hoping for and didn't realize. Yeah, we never stop chasing something. I am probably in the
0: best physical shape I've ever been in in my life. And I work out a lot. I probably weigh a healthy weight in terms mm-hmm. of like fat versus muscle. I look mm-hmm. better than I probably ever have in my life. And I'm stronger than I've ever been in my life. And I'm like, God damn it, I have gray hair. It's like there's always, <laughs> we're never happy. We're never happy. Are you telling
2: me that women can't have it all? <laughs> no. I am. I am saying this.
0: Do you love to deconstruct your favorite TV shows or spend hours talking episodes over with your closest friends? If so, check out Little Miss Recap with host Amy Archer. Join Amy as she chats about some of today's best streaming shows with the help of her friends. Recap, research, and personal reflection joins pop culture. Check out her coverage of Yellow Jackets, Tiny Beautiful Things, and HBO's Love and Death. Don't miss out on Little Miss Recap. I want to go back to talking about character's name. And I want to talk a little bit just about the beauty industry in general. Uh, A friend of mine is an esthetician. And she used to work at a pretty high-end place where they worked on your face. And you got massages and facials. And she worked with body hair and waxing and all those things. And she worked at a a really nice chain, but like a very high end chain. And she has a very pretty name. And there was nothing about it that was ethnic or anything like that. She is a white girl. And she has a really cool name. And they were like, you need to pick a different name. And all of the girls on the floor had fake names. It was their work name. and They would give them a list of names and have them pick from it. Because there was just a certain style and aesthetic that this particular chain wanted to have with their girls. And that was right down to what your name is. I just think that's bizarre, but it happens in real life. That is just a common practice at this particular chain. When I read that in Natural Beauty, where they have a conversation with our main character about picking a different name and and they don't even really sugarcoat it. They just want it to be a whiter name. I just thought that was fascinating. And I know that you have a background that you did work in the high-end beauty and wellness industry for a while. So how much of that informed the book, like
2: the name changing? Is that an element that came in from real life? So I didn't know that that happens in real life. Um, It's just been something my entire life that's kind of been implied to me and to other friends who have East Asian names. That's Uh, an interesting name or that's, that's difficult to spell little things where you really feel like you're making someone else's life harder by having the name that you have. Um, and the main character doesn't have a name, um, because growing up, I kind of felt like I was a blank for whatever people's projections were. I do remember in school, someone, I think it was like a teacher suggested that I have an English name. What about like Courtney? Yeah. Gee. Okay. That's horrible. I want to follow up on what you just said, because
0: as a writer, I Mm. was fascinated as I was reading to discover about maybe a hundred pages in, maybe 150 pages in. All of a sudden I was like, shit, I don't know her name. (laughs) And then I realized that you purposely never named your main character. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is amazing. Um, So I offer editorial services because the book is written in uh, first person. When I'm reading uh, first person, I will see people forget to let the reader know their name because it's just not something that comes up often like in conversation or anything like that. So I actually, as a reader, didn't notice it until I was about a third of the way through the book. I thought it was very clever. Then later on, when she does adopt a whiter name, that name comes into use in the narrative.
2: What was your driver there? Like, I don't think about my identity as like a fixed thing Um, Mm -hmm. and names have a way of kind of pitting us down. And so at first, it started as like, well, maybe not having a name so that everyone can kind of step into this person's shoes. Let's see where that takes us. But then I really liked the idea that everyone in her workplace would just project what they thought onto her, um, as I've experienced so much. And also, there is this stereotype often that East Asian people are passive. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to play with that and to see how it would shift for a reader to not have the name, the label, and then to have one suddenly. And would it make sense? Would it be really jarring for them suddenly to have such a Western name? It's always interesting when I I meet someone and ask them what their name is. And it's something I really don't expect. If I go to a Chinese restaurant or something and they they tell me their name is Courtney, and I know that's their work name. In some ways, it's good. It probably protects certain people from customers. It's probably a choice a lot of them have made. Most of my friends who have not Western names, we have like a Starbucks name because we don't want to have to spell something every time. So that was kind of the decision. And it also helped as a writer to be really close to the main character, to not have a name.
0: And I think it works for the reader, too. It's like as we're reading, there isn't a very distinct wall between yourself and the narrator. And so I thought that was a really interesting and subtle literary technique that you used there. I enjoyed it. You are a violinist. You perform. You travel. You are a professional musician. In the book, our main character is also a greatly talented musician, but her instrument is the piano. So why did you choose to not use your own instrument in that way? Or do you also play the piano?
2: I did play the piano, but pretty poorly. And I quit um, like 20 years ago, I think. My mom's a violin teacher and my dad's a piano teacher. I think there's always been a little bit of guilt for um, focusing on my mom's instrument, And then there are so many great piano pieces that I wish I had gotten more advanced so that I could have played. And that's kind of the music that I listen to a lot because I get triggered by most violin music. (laughs) Or it becomes difficult to think about anything else if it's happening. But I love listening to piano concertos and sonatas and... Uh, They're really something I love running to, I love writing to. It's also so much easier to romanticize something that I don't do for work. I wanted to talk about classical music because I love it so much, but this kind of removed me enough to do it where it was really fun and felt like I was creating something new. That's so interesting.
0: I also played the piano for a pretty long period of time as a child. I enjoyed it and I practiced a lot and I was like good enough. I didn't have any technique. I wanted to play loud and I wanted to play fast. Those were always my goals. (laughs) And that's what I did. I mean, I beat the crap out of the keys. And my piano teacher was the kindest, sweetest, like church organist. And she would just be like, this is supposed to be in this time signature and it is supposed to be this loud what are you doing and i'm like no (laughs) fast and loud fast and loud that's what's great that's what i'm doing fast and loud so it's like i am just not not a good musician in that way but one of the things that I uh, thought you did a great job of illustrating in the book, and people that aren't inside of that world probably aren't aware, but uh, you know, I would go to competitions and festivals and things like that. And man, it is fairly cutthroat. People are extremely yeah. serious about their craft and about their instruments and what they do. Again, as we were saying, women looking at each other as competitors rather than friends. And that's also there for our main character when she's thinking about her past with music and being at a conservatory and the competitive nature of the relationships that she had because she was so good and everybody Mm -hmm. knew it. And so therefore she was to be hated. She was to be toppled. And it was just something I thought was extremely interesting because even in my limited experience of the uh, music world, just going to competitions and things and meeting people who were so deadly serious about what (laughs) they were doing. And it's like, I was a musician, but I was also an athlete. And so it's like, I would play sports where you're knocking each other down. You're getting hit with a ball. You're going to bleed. You're going to have scars from your sport. And so (laughs) I was always kind of like, wow, you guys take the piano like really seriously. (laughs) But that's their corner. Like that's their jam. And they are very serious about what they do. And it can mean so much. So were you using that element of the... Um, competition and the comparisons from her childhood in music and then drawing that forward into the beauty world.
2: Yes, definitely. I think I've experienced that competitiveness in both of those industries. And I, I think people in those industries, it can be really cultish the way that people in classical music and people in clean beauty, especially in wellness, it's like a cultish Fanaticism toward like what they think is good for your body and what they'll allow themselves to spend their time on—it's so intense. And they both really kind of believe like the American dream that if you work hard enough, you can get the perfect functioning body and you can get to whatever performance hall you want. I was really inspired by this devotional aspect of both worlds, and I started this novel in my notes app um, on these long commutes I had between this job at a high-end beauty store. And I was just drawing all of these parallels between the world I just left and the world I was trying to step into. And maybe I'll discover that writing is similar. I don't know yet, (laughs) but if you want to take something seriously, if you really want to be competitive, there are those people who are like that and you can go as far in that direction as you want. That's very true. I
0: will say, I think you will be pleasantly surprised by the publishing world. I have yet to run into um, animosity or a competitive feel. I definitely have moments where I'm like, you know, I don't think that book is very good and everyone loves it. But the truth is that uh, in publishing in particular, uh, we always say a rising tide lifts all boats. If there's a book that your publisher has printed that is doing extraordinarily well and making millions of dollars and you're kind of pissed because it's not your book and you don't think it's that good, your publisher just made a lot of money off this book and they might be able to pay you more next time for your book because of this book's success. If a book is out there that you don't really like that well and everybody else does, that book is going to find someone that maybe wouldn't read otherwise And turn them into a reader. And maybe that person will find you eventually. That's just how I've always... Well, I shouldn't say always. I had to come to that. But it's a good way to think about the publishing industry. And I think most of us do uh, operate that way. I hope that you will find that publishing doesn't have that
2: shark's blood in the water feel. Mostly blood competition or in the music world, you're playing all the same pieces. In the beauty world, you're chasing the same beauty ideals. So, And and no one is like you know, writing from the same exact formula for like the same character and plot and stuff. There is so much more room. It hasn't felt that way. And I think it's probably unlikely. Don't want to rule it out because of some of the experiences I've had in in music, which is sad.
0: The Natural Beauty is your debut novel. It just came out. What else have you got coming?
2: Are you working on something new? I did um, immediately start working on another book I think out of imposter syndrome right after I got this book deal I was like can I even do this again so I started working on something and I think you know this debut novel is so personal because it I've worked in both industries mentioned I'm also the daughter of immigrants I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could write something totally different this second thing that I've worked on I don't think that it's Truly a horror, Um, Uh but it does stay kind of speculative. And it's been fun knowing less about the fields that I'm talking about. This one is kind of more based in the performance art world, which is a world that fascinates me, but that I have no connection to. I have no idea what a career looks like for me. I just hope that I'll get to keep writing for fun. To have published novels would be amazing, um, but even just getting to write for fun is really great
0: last thing why don't you let listeners know where they can find the book natural beauty and also where they can find you online
2: sure um so natural beauty should be in any stores you can also find it online bookshop.org audible i, I love the person who's reading the audiobook carolyn kang i love her voice instagram is at violin squared v-i-o-l-i-n-g S-Q-U-A-R-E-D.
1: Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.